As we come to uh, Matthew 16, 18, let's just ask the Lord to, to guide us into that truth that we're looking at today. Lord Jesus, you are the head of the church. You are the head of every church that believes and follows you. I pray that this morning you will encourage us in that truth. You will let us take a deep breath. You will allow us the freedom to turn that over to you, any parts of church that we've taken on ourselves. And most of all, Lord of heaven, we thank you for your wonderful plan in creating your church and in using it to help people come to know you. Guide us through your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. About 33 years ago, when I was 33, pretty cool symmetry, huh? Oh, no. Only if you're a math major. Um, I was 33. I stood right here 33 years ago in an evening service. How many of you remember? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and I preached on this text. I was halfway through seminary. I was scared to death. And the sermon that I had sort of studied and planned and gotten excited about earlier in the week was kind of gone on Sunday. So it's the Word of God. It doesn't come back void, even if it's spoken by a green seminary student. <laughs> but I just find it interesting that I'm back. I don't know why this old song was, that's taken from Scripture was running through my head this morning. Um, now I can't remember the song. I guess it wasn't so I could say it. So, let's look at Matthew 16, 13 through 18, and then we'll answer the question, why did Jesus say, I will build my church? Beginning at verse 13 of Matthew 16, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And Jesus said, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, the least likely to speak up among the apostles, ha ha, says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Now there's some pretty dramatic moments in Scripture, right? <laughs> this is one of them. Why did Jesus say, I will build my church? Well, we're going to get into that a little more, but the, in the context here, there were a couple of reasons. One of them is because he knew what God's plan was. The church is God's plan. It isn't man's plan. Man doesn't even know how to do it. Sometimes we mess it up pretty good. It's God's plan. And it was God's plan that you trust Jesus Christ as Savior. And if you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, the Bible says you were placed in the church. And you were ranked lower than others in the church. What? That's so ridiculous. We're so about ranking sometimes, aren't we? We rank and judge everything. 
No, you were placed in the body of Christ as a, as a great privilege, but also as a place which is a picture of what we were created for. In the presence of God, worshiping, serving, enjoying, reveling in his presence. And he created the church because it was God's plan to carry on the revelation of Jesus so people could come to know God. And he gave us that responsibility, and he gave us that privilege, and he gave us gifts and abilities to do that. And so we formed a committee to figure out how we were going to make that happen. Right? You know the naughty definition of a committee, right? It's a group of people that meet together and do nothing. (laughs) I mean, nothing wrong with meeting together to do God's work. I'm not putting that down. What's wrong is that we actually think sometimes, I have, I assume you have, that we know the answers for what God's work is. Uh, I understand if people nod off during a sermon. And I found out about most people that nodded off because they'd come up afterwards sometimes and say, I'm sorry, Pastor. (laughs) I said, well, I didn't know, but thanks. (laughs) That's just normal. I don't care. But today, don't nod off until we get to the part about this question. We're going to answer the question, in church, who speaks for Jesus? Kind of important question, huh? I don't remember anybody ever asking that question, but it's kind of important. If he's the head of the church, who speaks for Jesus? So why did Jesus say, I'll build my church? Because he knew it was God's plan and because he knew that his death was imminent. He knew that he was going to be with the Father. And they needed to know. They needed to know that he was the rock. They needed to know that the church was going to be founded. They needed to know that there were plans, which included Peter. They needed to know that he was going to build his church. So, what is Jesus saying? Is he saying, I will build my church? Or is he saying, I will build my church? Or is he saying, I will build my church? Or is he saying, I will build my church? Or is he saying, I will build my church? Which is the most important? Well, all of the above, of course. You all knew that. But there's tremendous meaning packed in this, and there's tremendous direction for us as his church. And we're going to start with the last word because that's the church. And we just need to be reminded the church is literally us. It is the called out ones. The word literally means called out. It was a common word used outside the Bible for an assembly of people, maybe called out to a meeting. And we are the called out ones. Jesus has called us out when when we trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, and really a calling before that, but we won't get into that today. (laughs) Every person who's ever trusted Jesus Christ as Savior is part of the church. Wait a minute. We're a Baptist church, and there's a non-denominational church, and there's a Nazarene church, and aren't those the church? They are the church, but the church there is the people who've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. That's what the church is. 
He says, I am building my church. Well, it's nice to have this building, right? Not the church. And we don't need to get picky about not using the word, I mean, well, we have to say building every time we say, I'm going to the church. No, come on. It's, the church is us. It is a living organism. It is a gathering church family. It is those who have been called in to the presence of God, and everybody is called if they will trust Jesus Christ as Savior. That's who we are, and we just gather here, this part of the church. What a blessing. I just have to tell you, I've only been here two years, but so far, you guys are more wonderful than you know. Oh, yeah, stone face, but I know what was inside. You do just what I do if somebody says something true that you know is true. We just go, <laughs> or that little kid comes out, right? That needs the compliment, but can't hardly embrace it. But that's the way we are with the Lord. It's very, very difficult for us to receive his perspective of who we are in Jesus Christ. And one of Satan's great messages for us as individuals, which becomes the message the church has if we receive it, is that we don't measure up. In Jesus Christ, we measure up. And it's as we realize how much we didn't measure up and how much we do now, how much he has done, how much he has transformed us already and will some more, that we honor God, we honor the work of Christ on the cross. And this is no more true than it is in the church. How we honor his sacrifice on the cross how we recognize the work of Jesus Christ. And we sort of react two wrong ways to being the church, don't we? Oh, I wouldn't agree either until you heard them, so this is good. You're, you're doing good. We react one way as we get prideful. We get prideful in outreach. It's we, them. It's we, the saved. It's we who've trusted Christ. It's we who have the truth of the Bible and believe it. And sometimes it's we, the only ones who understand the Bible correctly. And it's so easy to get prideful. And the other side is we go the other direction. You know, worm theology. <laughs> I'm just a worm. I'm just a worm. When we sing Amazing Grace... How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I hope you understand that that is past tense. We were a wretch. We were saved in our wretchedness, out of our wretchedness. It is not a prosperity gospel to recognize what Jesus Christ has done, and he has made us new. And he's placed us in this church, which is just an amazing avenue for abundant life as well as serving God in ways that last for eternity, amazing source of joy as we can become a part of the church. And you are. Miraculously, amazingly, you are not alone without a mission. You're together with other brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, around the community, and here in this room. 
which we were created for. If we leave that out, how are we going to find joy? Well, we can find some happiness here and there, but the things that we are created for, when we're involved in them with the Creator, give life to our soul and bring a joy in our life that's more and more unconditional. And it makes other people want to say, whoa, I want what you have. And being a witness for Christ is really letting that joy out, not faking it. And then we just go, it's him. <laughs> it's him. Let me tell you about him. <laughs> he loves you too like he loves me. <laughs> so let's run through these words. I will build my church, Jesus said. Okay, there's a little test now. Who will build the church? Jesus Christ. That's who the I is. I will build my church if you apostles do it right. Wait, is that what it says? If you apostles do it right, I will build my church. But if you mess it up, the church is going to die. You better focus on strategy and you better focus on the right methods and you better get this figured out. Or you will be responsible for killing the church. <laughs> I have to say, I've been in some committee meetings where it sort of felt like <laughs> the level of discussion <laughs> was more toward we don't want to kill the church. We got to get this right. We got to get this right. I think this is right. No, I think this is right. No, I think this is right. Who speaks for Jesus? We got to decide which one. Or maybe not. The church is the same as it was when it was first mentioned. This is the first mention of the church in the Scripture in the New Testament. The church is the same today as it was when it was founded at Pentecost after Jesus had ascended into heaven and the apostles were gathered in the upper room and then the Holy Spirit fell on them and there was an amazing founding of the church and the people began to realize that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, the Savior. The church today has the same power, the same mission, and the same description as the first century church. It hadn't changed, right? I mean, it's not like culture and society changes, it seems like, every five minutes. <laughs> the church is the church. There's no room for improvement in the church. Jesus founded it. He designed it. But that doesn't mean there's not room for growth on those of us that are in the church. The word for church means called out ones, chosen. The Bible's clear that you were chosen to know Jesus Christ as Savior and be a part of His church before the foundation of the world. I know that's kind of uncomfortable, but really... Is it really that shocking that God can do things that we don't understand? And don't focus on trying to understand it so much, although you're welcome to, it doesn't bother God, but focus on the fact that we are chosen. We're chosen. We must be really special. Well, see how quick we get off track? That's not the point. He didn't choose me because I was special. 
He didn't choose me to be a pastor for 30 years because I was more spiritual, because I was smarter, because I went to seminary. You know why God sets people aside to pastor and to be missionaries and whatever? Well, obviously it's His will, and obviously it's for His glory. But there's a practical reason. I don't know if you ever thought of it. It's not because a pastor is more spiritual or knows more or can do amazing things or whatever, whatever. It's because the work is so important. We need to release someone from the obligation of making a living so their time can be free. Now, don't get me wrong. We hope he's kind of spiritual. (laughs) We hope he has gifts. (laughs) Yeah? We hope he's committed. But that isn't the reason. And the reason I point that out to you is because that's true of all of us. We were called into the church, and we can set aside time as an offering of worship to God to serve. And Satan has perverted that because he gives us this idea, serving, oh, that's, I don't want to look the pastor in the eye. He's talking about serving. I'm not serving enough. I'm not doing enough. Oh, kiss my foot. That's just a lie from Satan, isn't it? Really? How immature are we to buy into that? And we've bought into it from up front. How many times have you heard an announcement that something's needed or we need somebody to serve in this capacity and then guilt was loaded on? Well, I have a... (laughs) I have a secret for you. You don't know this, I'm sure, but half the guilt that was loaded on, you loaded on. But we've done that from up front, haven't we? Instead of just giving information, Jesus Christ is building his church. It's great for us to be involved. Here's the opportunities. It's between you and him if you want to get involved. Praise God. And then instead of the way we talk and act as leaders... We don't talk and act by saying, this is God's will for you to fill this spot. It's God's will for this spot to be filled. How do do we know? It's God's will when somebody comes and says, I believe this is God's way for me. It might be a good idea. It might even be God's will to have a new ministry start, but it may not be God's timing. How do we know for sure if it's God's timing? When He raises people up. They're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. When somebody comes and they're like, yeah, wow, instead of, I'll do it. I mean, we've just set too low a standard for what it means for Christ to build his church. All right. We're going to worship here, okay? Not that being in his word isn't worship. I have to have a drink of water for this. Now, however, you can take a deep breath and focus on the Lord. I want to explain to you who the I is. I will build my church. This is kind of cool. This is a subject index for the Bible. It's not inspired, but you can find verses that are on a subject, and and some of them even might help. Under the subject index, under Christ, there's a list of his other names, other descriptive names of Jesus in the Bible. There's over 200. 
So sit back, I'm going to not read them all. Okay. Think about this, though. Think about who this I is. I will build my church. This is who he is. The Alpha and Omega, the Ancient of Days, the Beloved Son, the Author of Salvation, the Chief Shepherd, Christ, the Power of God, the Deliverer, the Faithful and True, the Firstborn from the Dead, the Great Shepherd, the Head over the Body, the Church, the Holy One of God, the Great I Am. The image of the invisible God, Emmanuel, God with us. King eternal, King of glory, King of kings. This one who is building his church is the Lamb of God, the light of the world. Lord God Almighty, Lord both of the dead and the living, Lord of righteousness, Messiah, mighty God the only begotten of the Father, the only wise God, this head of the church, this one who made this statement that's going to last until Christ returns, that says, I will build my church. I am the builder. I'm going to do it, is the ruler over the kings of the earth, the Savior that God has provided, the Son of the highest, the teacher from God, the Word, the Word of God, the Word of life. Now, I think probably as you think about that, you're a little more encouraged than if an elder stands up here and says, now listen to me, I know how to build the church. I, I appreciate the kindness and not laughing because the difference between Jack and Jesus Christ the builder of the church, well, I don't have long enough arms. Isn't that great that it's not me? Amen. Thank you! <laughs> I think I heard some down inside of some people, but yeah. Isn't that great? Because we got nothing. Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. The church isn't going to last. He is building. His church. He is this person that is amazing and all-wise and all-powerful and yet loves the tar out of you and me. And he is patient in our growth. And growth means there's going to be things that we mess up. He is building the church. Isn't that encouraging? That is so encouraging. I will build my church, only I can build my church. No one else can. But, he says, I designed you to help me. I designed you to be a part of it. And I brought you into my family. I've made you my brothers and sisters. That's what Jesus did. This is a family project, building the church. And we don't have to do the heavy lifting and we don't have to come up with the plan because the I am is the one who does all of that. I had a laugh. I just had this thought a couple days ago. Does anybody... anybody I learned a diagram sentence from Walter Ponsford in junior high. 
And I loved it. Anybody else love to diagram sentences? Yeah, there's like four weird ones here. I will build my church. What's the subject of the sentence? I is the subject. That's what it's about. What's church? Church is the object. The subject is doing the verb, which is build, to the object, which is church. We're the church. He's building us up. We don't have to do it. That's good news. I will build my church. The quality of the building depends on the quality of the builder, doesn't it? Crummy builder, crummy building. Huh? Well, Jesus is our brother and our friend. Hard for us to take in. He loves us unconditionally. Um, He never gets frantic over our sin. Think about it. Why doesn't he get frantic over our sin? Hatfield, what's wrong with you? (laughs) You did it again! (laughs) I know! I'm sorry, I desire! (laughs) He's not frantic. Because his plan is to grow us, individuals, and his church that we're a part of. And... Don't tell anybody outside this room, okay? This is a big secret, but God already knows that He's got some work to do with us. Right? Huh? We're the ones that have trouble getting used to that. No, i got to get myself together for God. The best witness to the people outside the church is if I have it together, right? Because it reflects on God if I don't. (laughs) There's a little trouble with that. (laughs) It's not true. I don't have it together. And those that see me and are around me more than one minute every year know that I don't have it together. The witness that we have and Christ is building His church on it is that we are growing. And that witness is the heart of the Lord which says, that's fine. Come to me. If you walk away, come back. Let's keep going. Humanity needs to hear that. It is a lie from hell that it's a bad witness for Christ if we don't have it together. He's building his church out of used bricks. Hmm? I remember when I was a kid, I didn't really understand. I think I was a teenager when used bricks became popular. Before that, what did we do with them? Throw them away. Well, that's what Satan wants us to do, is get thrown away. But Jesus said, no, I can make you new, and I will build my church, and nothing can stop it. He won't change his plan. He lacks no resources, and hell can't stop him. I will build my church. Interesting phrase, and the gates of hell will not, <coughs> will not overthrow it will not conquer it, will not overpower it. 
Is that sort of an odd statement? Have you heard people talk about that? Like, wait, wait a minute, a gate is a defense. It's not an offense weapon. Well, there's probably some imagery here that we're not very aware of. Because those cities with walls, they understood that the power of their gate was the power to keep them alive. That the enemy of death, people coming and breaking in and killing all of them, was held out by the power of gates. Because that was the weakest part of the defense. And so in the Jewish mind, it was like the gates held the power of life and death. So there's two ways to understand this, and both are true. One is that Jesus is referring in their minds, and that's why he did it, that the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Satan will be defeated. The gates of hell will be broken down. Jesus is victorious, and the church will be victorious. The gates of hell cannot stop him. He has the power over death. And, in general, the sort of instinctive response to this is correct. The gates of hell and nothing else will stop the church. The gates of hell and nothing else. No power, no strategy, no failure on our part is going to stop the church. So don't plan failure just because it's not going to stop the church. But my goodness, we have every reason to look back at the failures that Satan wants us to remember and think it's our identity that we did that. And oh, it's so awful. Is that going to stop Jesus' church, the fact that we messed up back there? It could stop us from moving ahead with the church. A lot of people are stuck. We're stuck in that place. We're reserved with God. There's this sense underneath that he doesn't want to see us. It's on our doctrinal statement that he does and he loves us and our sins are hidden. But it's so hard sometimes. And one of the reasons is that Satan loves to whisper in our ears, which he can, and say, this is who you are. And as fallen human beings, we believe that pretty easily. Now let me ask you, just on a logical basis, are you the sum total of the worst moments of your life? Is that who you are? I mean, forget doctrine. Forget that you're a Christian. Is anybody's identity the sum total of the worst things they've done in their life? Well, then why don't we recognize that as a huge lie from hell? Because we're fallen. But we can get over it. The truth will set us free. And one of the things it sets us free from is believing that that's our identity. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what's happened to you. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, you have a brand new identity and that stuff is gone. Wow. I don't know what really happened. I, you know, I'd like to develop a, an analytical ray test that we could put over the whole body sometime. We wouldn't take names. But just to evaluate how many of us are stuck in some of those things from the past. And Jesus died so we didn't have to be, but we're believing that lie. That cripples the church because we are the church. And it cripples your joy 
I never heard one person in all my 27 years of being a pastor that, that came and said, you know, I'm enjoying reveling in all the evil stuff that I've done. I feel horribly guilty. I know Jesus loves me and freed me from my sin, but I, I think I'll stay there. I really enjoy it. No, come on. Embrace the truth we know. We're free in Jesus Christ. Every sin, past, present, and future is taken care of. And the more that we live in that, the more that we're able to tell Satan to get out of here when he brings those lies. Oh, see? See, that's who you are. Don't buy it. I will build my church. Jesus is the master builder. You're not. I am the assistant builder. I'm not. <laughs> See, we tend to think that way, right? Jesus is the master builder. He's a skilled builder. He's a wise builder. He's a purposeful builder. He laid out the ways that we build the church with him, for him, and they can't be improved on. They can't be improved on. But if we don't apply them, they don't work. At least the part that we offer him doesn't work. If we don't apply the things that he has showed us how to build. I got to be a carpenter's assistant for my Uncle Dale in building four different stores. And I learned a lot. And he probably still wished somebody else would have been his helper, but we need to learn a lot more and apply it about how to build his church. How do we help him? We need to think. And we do need to strategize. And we do need to, to look at the church and be sold out. But we need to know that we don't know how unless we follow his principles. And I have to tell you, oh, I don't want to get depressed this morning, but I was going to tell you how many business meetings I've been to in Baptist churches, <laughs> and some of them were just ugly. And they weren't ugly because we were discussing how to apply the principles that Jesus has given to build his church. They were that way because somebody thought this was wrong, and somebody thought this was the best strategy. We don't need a strategy. He has a strategy. So the classic example, have you heard this example of decision-making in a business meeting? What color to paint the bathroom? Well, I mean, I've, I've been in trying to settle down a discussion about what, build, what color to paint a church building. I guarantee you, if somebody gets a hint of the heart of God's love for them who's not a believer and they show up and they stay for that meeting... They're going to be like, well, this is no different than everybody else. So who speaks for God? Who speaks for our Lord? I really believe that everyone here, if it was settled in your heart and my heart, that whatever the issue was, Jesus had told us to do it this way, we would do it. Don't you? I believe that. Well, then how come Baptist churches are known for fighting and being divided and all that stuff? 
Well, I'm going to contradict myself here <laughs> because we're not doing it right. We're not doing it right because we're not following his principles. Jesus never said what color to paint the bathroom. And he didn't say whether it should be semi-gloss or satin or flat paint or what kind of brush we should use or how perfectly it had to be painted or whether the fumes were not organic or the paints were not organic and the fumes shouldn't smell and on and on and on. The things that we can get discuss and be so right about that we end up being wrong. And the Holy Spirit of God, if we listen, is saying, even if you are right about a method, Jack, it doesn't matter to me. I don't care if you get the right answer if your attitude is wrong. And it's a temptation for us pastors sometimes. I'm not a pastor. I'm a retired pastor. Don't call me pastor. Just, I'm just Jack, okay? Um, but even if we're dead right, we're dead wrong in the way that we do it. So who speaks for Jesus? You're going to hate me, right? He does. He does. He does. He does. Does he actually speak? Yes, he does. Well, how in the world do we figure out what color to paint the bathroom or any other of a hundred different decisions that don't have a verse for them? How do we figure it out? How do we let him speak? We're kind of pathetic, you know what? We're kind of pathetic. How do we let him speak? Listen to what he says. Does he say, make it pink? The bathroom? No. I doubt if Jesus was actually ever leading anybody to paint a bathroom any certain color in any church anywhere ever. I doubt it. But he has told us how to listen to him. And that is to love one another. And to recognize that he's the one who said, I will build my church. And when we get our eyes on that and we get encouraged in that, when we come to understand what it means to be brothers and sisters in Christ and we see how others are gifted, others have experience and abilities, the color of the bathroom doesn't matter, especially to how ridiculous it is for us to get frustrated with each other about something silly like that. Oh, come on. Let the people who are working in those ministries make those decisions. Really. We're just kind of pathetic sometimes. <laughs> Get our eyes on it. We know what Jesus says. He tells us how to do it. If we don't have the specific of the color, then we back up to more general principles. If it doesn't guide a particular thing and we don't have the answer that we need together, we back up to another more general principle. Eventually, we end up with love God and love your neighbor. And when we seek that as the answer to the question of what color to paint the bathroom, the bathroom will get painted without division. Because half of you have no taste in paint. 
I don't know which half. I grew up being told by my mother I had no taste. I'm not wearing jeans today. I think mom's happy. It's so much more important that we free people for ministry and that we recognize God has spoken into everything. We want what he wants. He's the head of the church. We're going to get along. We're not going to look down on each other. We're going to look to each other in their giftedness and their experience to make suggestions about how to do certain things or what color to paint them. And we will not get an email then because we cross the threshold that appeals to God of togetherness. We won't get an email about what color to paint the bathroom, but we will find his will in that. And the bathroom will get painted. And Satan's going to go, rats, foiled again. The way that we move forward is to listen to Jesus speak to his church. And he has. And if we don't know the specifics, we back up to the more general. I have to tell you that, I don't know if you've noticed, we're blessed in our church to have a lot of people around 40 and under. Those generations have basically abandoned the church. Not this church, the church. The Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. And this is one of the reasons It is so destructive when we say Jesus is the head of the church. We want what Jesus wants. You need to listen to me. I know what color to paint the bathroom. I'm just using that as an example. Younger generations go, nothing there that I don't already have. I know how to yell at people when I think I'm right. (laughs) But Jesus can shine through that. And he does speak. And we don't We are not able to discern what he hasn't said. You understand? But we can discern what he said and follow that, and he will lead us where he wants us to go. He is the head of the church. He loves us and he wants to use us. I will build my church. Ephesians 4 11 says, now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. These are some of the gifts that Christ gave to the church. Because you lay people don't know what you're doing, so you have to have people tell you what to do. I've been around pastors who kind of act like that. I'm like, whoo, whoo. You're probably headed for a call to the head of the church's office to talk about this, I hope. And people who are not in leadership, same thing. We have gifts given to us by the head of the church, the one who designed it, the one who paid for it. Hey, there's gifted people all around here. And you know what? You won't like most of them. You know why? Because you're gifted, and it changes your perspective. If we're not careful, we won't like that person that sees to go this way or that way, or this is their emphasis. I have the gift of encouragement. I don't like people who are not encouraging. I mean, that's my initial reaction. It's like, oh, it violates something sacred inside. 
Somebody has a gift of service and says, you know, we should all go mow somebody's lawn. We should all go clean somebody's toilet. We should all go serve someone in another way. And somebody else with a different gift says, no, no, the essence of ministry is this. And somebody else says, whoa, 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 no, this is how we do things. This is what we need to focus on. If you're not careful, you're not going to like that person because of the strong gift that God gave them that the body needs. Isn't that ridiculous? Preachers. Best sermons of preachers are out of their gifting. And if you don't have that gift, you're not going to appreciate that very much sometimes. Especially with the number of messages that preachers give. You see how dead wrong that is? We are the body of Christ designed by Him. The different gifts are needed. In fact, God has designed that His glory is shown much more as we who disagree and have different perspectives come together under the head and celebrate those differences and use them together and free people to do ministry and not have to have it done our way. Wow. (laughs) I'm sorry, but I've been in meetings where I tried to talk people into doing it my way. Who am I? How about if we check inside and see if we're doing that and then Figure out more how to talk us into doing things Jesus' way. I've been to hundreds of business meetings in Baptist churches. And I've heard truth spoken about Jesus is in charge, but I've never heard anybody stand up in a meeting in the middle of a discussion that's controversial and say, whoa, 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 whoa. We may not know exactly what the answer is to this because we don't have a verse for it, but we know how we are to love one another in the process of making the decision. You know what? <clears throat> Congregational government is a bunch of baloney in those settings. One person, not a majority, who speaks the truth of God to the sensitive hearts of the rest of us should turn the tables for all of us. You can argue with me later, but a majority vote. It's a pretty pathetic way to determine God's will. Aren't we really determining our will? So who speaks for Jesus? Jesus does. As we get to know his heart through the principles he lays out. And one of the principles in the Bible is wait if you don't know. At least wait until you can agree that you don't know. (laughs) Wow, we get to join in that. Isn't that encouraging? You feel like I've been beating on you? No, we're just talking about the way we do things sometimes invests in death. And Jesus is calling us to invest in life. And when we do things his way, we end up with a better result more of the time. And it's life-giving. Wow. What a privilege. The church is Jesus' church by his authority. Says in Ephesians that God gave him authority over all things and the church. We don't question that. We do need to respond to it. Paul says in his farewell to the elders at Ephesus, he's headed for Jerusalem. They're not really happy about it. He's going to die. Sure looks like. 
He said, guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd the flock, his church, purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as elders. Purchased it with his own blood. He has the authority over it and he owns it. And who better to direct his church and to draw us into amazing opportunities to find joy in serving. I'm just going to ask us to to finish up here for a moment with a time of silent prayer. A time of asking and listening in your own heart. And, And I think it's worth doing for us because none of us want to be a roadblock in the church. And a lot of times people think they're a roadblock because they disagree or something like that. That's not it. We need all the gifting. We need all the opinions. We're a roadblock because of our attitude. And we're in process. So none of us are immune from being roadblocks to what Jesus, the head of the church, wants to do. So let's just ask Him, okay? Just in a time of silent prayer, just ask the Lord. Say, I want to know. Show me if I'm being a roadblock to what you want to do in this church.